Welcome to another episode of the Out of Sight Podcast on the Liberty Ballers Network. I am your host, Adil Royster. Chill ride, chill vibes. If it sounds like I have a little bit more pep in my step, it's because I'm at the time of recording this. It's Saturday, November 7th, and uh, Joe Biden is going to be the president. So the four-year nightmare that I and many of you have been suffering, it's over. It's finally over but the job is not done next we have to get that I, I don't even want to say his name get him out of office get the mayflower trucks in there pack all your stuff get out and then let's let's just let uncle joe and auntie kamala go to work healing this incredibly fractured nation on the lines the topic of discussion today i'm i have sean kennedy on the line and he wrote a pair of pieces last week and it's because it sounds like the NBA is going to be getting back to business maybe sooner than we all expected. And uh, yeah, brought Sean on to talk about his two pieces about the proposed December 22nd start, as well as a uh, idea that the NBA is going to allow fans at the start of the season. Weird news to me. Um, but here we go. Sean's on the line. How are you feeling today, Sean? I'm feeling great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Got the TV on mute in the background so I can check out some of these celebrations going on. Uh, big day across a lot of cities across America. Um, yeah, and we still got uh, we still got some Georgia runoffs for the Senate. And, some uh, Georgia runoffs. So there's, there's still uh, hope for people that are hoping that uh, Democrats could take the Senate as well. So, yeah, it's an exciting time for uh, the plurality of Americans today. So. Shout out to Atlanta for doing the Lord's work down there. Appreciate you. So let's jump right in. The first piece that you wrote uh, was about the possibility of a December 22nd start to the NBA. Um, that date, I optimistically, I was thinking closer to like mid-January, maybe even February, maybe like a 50-game season, something like that. The December 22nd start, that, that seemed a little quick to you. It does when you just kind of say it initially, but once they threw out the financial ramifications of starting in December versus a January to February start, I think it was something around $500 million the league would lose if they were to, you know, put that started season off another month or two. And a, a big part of that is obviously the Christmas day slate of games where the NBA basically has the monopoly on sports and television coverage for that day. And that's a huge thing for their network sponsors. Um, so it, you know, when they initially back a couple months ago, they were saying, Hey, we hope to have a January to February start. And everyone said, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but you know, once they, they really laid down the financial implications of that. Um, it, you know, it, it totally makes sense that they're trying to start on December 22nd. And um, yeah, I, I think for the majority of teams, it's, it's not really that quick of a turnaround. I mean, you have, you have about a quarter of the league that hasn't played since March, the, right. the teams that didn't participate in the bubble. And then if you were a team that, there were teams that participated in the bubble, but they, they didn't make the playoffs. So they haven't played in a few months themselves. Like Phoenix. But yeah, you got Phoenix, Washington, the teams like that. Um, and then, you know, if you're like the Sixers and you lost in the first round, you, you, you at, to this day, you haven't played in about three months. Uh, so it's not that quick of a turnaround. I mean, it, it's going to be 
I think it's going to be crazier just the condensed off season more so than the the league actually when it gets started. I, right. I think just everything being having to take place in about a three to four week period as far as you know the draft free agency and training camp. That's that's really going to be the the crazy part of this uh, season that's about to get underway. As far as revenues go, and like I would say this about any sport, NBA, Major League Baseball, football, hockey, anything like that, I will never side with owners as far as like, oh, we're going to lose all this money, this, that, and the other thing. That's just me personally. And when baseball was restarting, when hockey was restarting, even though they had the dual bubble city system and the NFL starting, like my whole mindset was, I get it you're losing you're losing money but like you're a sports franchise like you can print money once you get going again am i like am i just totally off with that line of thinking i mean i understand that but in in regard to the nba the the league revenue has a direct correlation with what the players make so i think it's it's in the owner's interest to get started but it's also in the player's interest okay. like they're they're also losing money if if the league loses money okay so i, th- I think you're, you're seeing that and i think that's why the players union the players association and the league were able to come to compromises pretty quickly and they've been working you know fairly cordially and rapidly to to make decisions all throughout 2020 to to get guys back on the court because you know they want to play and and they want to you know make money and provide for their families and provide for the future for you know their future generations of their family and everything. So it, they all want to do it, and it was just whether they can do it safely. And um, I, I think all parties are you know more or less in agreement that this is something they can get done. I will say that after seeing how the NFL kind of handled things as far as like talking to their unions and getting testing systems in place and things like that, like before the season started, like it still wasn't a hundred percent clear what the NFL's testing methods were going to be. And I will say if there's one league and one commissioner and one players union that I trust to kind of get everything sort of back to normal while still protecting the players and the fans, which we'll get into in a second, it's probably the NBA. Absolutely. Yeah. They were incredibly successful with the, the bubble environment in the Disney world, Orlando. Um, They didn't have any positive cases inside the bubble. They, every game went off, you know, as scheduled, there wasn't any hiccups or, and, and the coverage was great. Like they worked with their, their partners. And I think the TV product was, you know, aside from there not being fans, I don't think anyone noticed the difference really in the, in the coverage. It seemed just like the same great, exciting NBA playoffs we've come to expect. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, everybody has to be, you know, you still have to be concerned and you know take precautions but i don't i don't think that anyone is really no one's coming at this thinking oh the nba is just going to plow ahead without regard for player and employee safety i think every it's it's proven that they've done everything within their power to make sure that that side of things is taken care of one point that's always going to get raised is towards the latter half of the bubble when we're talking about, you know, October, um, late September, October, the ratings were kind of dropping. But at that point, you know, the NFL was getting started. You know, once the NFL gets started and 
things start moving with that league, it pretty much drowns out the ratings for like everything. And I get that the ratings for the NBA finals weren't great, but part of that could have been, you know, the Lakers heat matchup, which was, you know, it was sort it was semi-interesting, but with the NFL back in session, like there was no chance for the NBA. Yeah. There was, I think one or two games where they were directly opposite a primetime NFL game. Yeah. So that's definitely a factor. Um, I think the like every game, I th- they might have had one afternoon game and the rest were like at nine o'clock. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's hard for people on the East Coast to, you know, staying up and watching those games. Oh uh, yeah, especially if you don't if your team's not in it. I mean, I, I mean, there's a lot of people that just love basketball and want to watch the playoffs regardless of who's playing. But if it's getting to be around ten thirty, eleven at night, and you have to be at work in the morning, like that's that's hard for a lot of people. Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't buy too much into the ratings. I think the if the the league released their financial numbers and by completing the season, they were able to make a great deal amount of money. And I think they spent some somewhere around 180 million to have the bubble take place and for everything that had to go into that. And uh, but they still ended up being incredibly profitable by finishing the season. So the league's doing fine. Like people that are talking about ratings that that doesn't take into account people that are, you know, following in other ways, whether it's streams or just the, the NBA is one of the more social media forward leagues. And a lot of people interact and connect with the league in that way versus just watching ABC. So it's, I don't think that's, it's certainly something the league is monitoring, but I don't think it's really a big concern from their perspective. I, I will say that I did a lot of hate watching of the NBA Finals just because I wanted to see Jimmy Butler lose, but that's only because I'm petty AF. So, yeah, it, that was definitely an interesting uh, kind of split in the the Sixers fan base. There, they, yeah, there were certainly people like that where it's like, hey, Jimmy, you know, he has his faults, and if uh, you took the viewpoint that he kind of spurned Philadelphia a little bit, then you didn't want to see him succeed. But then there was a lot of people that said, Hey, if the ownership had just offered him the full max, he would have stayed. And this could be us right now. And they wanted to win to like spite owners. They wanted Jimmy to win to spite Sixers ownership some more. Um, So I was definitely more the former than the latter. Yeah. But to be honest. Yeah. But but it's, it's funny. I think he would be in the minority in that. I think a lot of, (laughs) a lot of people really were rooting for Jimmy and um, you know, in, in in one way that makes a lot of sense. It wasn't that long ago that people were chanting Jimmy Butler's name at the Wells Fargo Center. True, so he he definitely had a uh, a moment here in Philadelphia where he was very much beloved. So, you know, it does it. Yeah, it makes perfect sense that that didn't completely evaporate and people were still rooting for him. You wrote that the December twentieth. This sounds like it's going to be that's when the regular season is going to start. Also, December first would be the start of training camps. Now. With only three weeks, how could that kind of change any training regiments for these teams? Well, it's it's not really that different from a normal training camp. I think training camps typically take place over just a few week period. Um, the majority of tr- like, I guess what you're 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 speaking to training is you know that's already going on. Guys are already at the practice facility, um, and the NBA has given teams go ahead to have up to, I think 10 to 12 uh, organization members at a time to be, to be at their practice facilities, like socially distance and working out and everything. So that, that's the, that's where the real work goes in. When you, when you get to training camp, it's Mm -hmm. more about 
just, hey, we got to put in whatever system we want to put in. And, and that will certainly be something that the Sixers are dealing with because they have a new head coach in Doc Rivers. So that, that'll be something they're, they're putting into place. And then also working in any, you know, new additions to the roster, whether they be free agent signees or draft draftees that are uh, now rookies in the league and on the team. So, but uh, yeah, the, the training camp period itself, it's not, it's not really that different than, than prior years. Um, it's, it may be one week shorter, but that's, I don't think that's materially different than, than previous years. And you kind of touched on it a little bit as far as um, new systems, new coaches, this, that, and the other. Um, so would you say that those are the kinds of teams that have a little bit more of an advantage, like teams like, you know, Golden State, they've had Steve Kerr in there for the long time. Teams like Miami that have had Eric Spolster in there, like since forever, it feels like. Yeah, there's, there's certainly something to be said for that. Um, but you could also point to, hey, will there be teams that are fresher? Like, are the Lakers basically going to be in cruise control for three months? Because yeah. they, they played like six weeks ago and they just finished a grueling stretch of basketball. Um, I, so I, I think it's going to be hard to, you know, differentiate all of these different variables and kind of say, hey, this is the one that mattered. This one didn't matter so much. I think it's all going to be this crazy mashup of things that uh, – the league is kind of experiencing for the first time and no one's really going to be able to discern which one is really the, the cause or the benefit of any successes or difficulties teams face in the, in the future. What you said about the Lakers makes me, because I'm on, on Twitter, some people know that I'm a bit of a degenerate gambler. So, you know, I, I might actually contemplate whatever the Lakers under number is for wins. I might actually consider putting like a car note on that and maybe even the Clippers too, depending on, you know, uh, how much rest Kawhi would need. Yeah, it's definitely something to consider. But I, th- I think with the, the NBA anymore, the, the regular season has been devalued to a point anyway. I would agree with that. So it's more like hitting your stride towards the end of the season and going into the playoffs strong. I, I mean, I know the bubble situation was unique and there wasn't really a home court advantage, but Miami made the finals as a five seed. <laughs> so does it matter if you have a top seed as much? I don't, it still matters. Cause yeah, maybe you get to play a much weaker opponent in the first round and that's an easy chance for you to advance. But, uh, especially this upcoming season when, I mean, we're going to talk about fans, but I doubt there's going to be sold out arenas by July. Mm -hmm. So I don't think home court advantage is going to be as much of a factor as it would be in a non-pandemic environment. Um, Yeah. I I think a lot of teams are going to continue to take a little bit more of a cautious approach with their players and kind of take a, a bigger picture viewpoint with things. Another set of teams that may or may not have advantage, you talk about the Sixers with Doc Rivers or, you know, like you were saying, um, Spolster in Miami. But, like, what about, like, the teams with new head coaches, but they're, like, veteran head coaches? Like, this is not their first rodeo. Yeah, it, I can only imagine it would help them. Like, they know how to hit the ground running from day one and how to run a team and and be – the head man and know everything that goes into that because it's not just the X's and O's. There's a lot of administrative and organizational stuff that you have to take care of. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I can, I can only imagine that would help them. Um, again, there's a lot of things about this season that are going to be unique for everyone. So uh, I, I'll just 
say again, I, I think it's going to be hard to, to point to one factor over another. I think it's all going to be just this kind of opaque thing where everyone's kind of muddling through things together. But yeah, I mean, in, as with any situation, having a guy who's has the experience and, and already done something can, can only benefit you, I would think. Let's talk about the financial aspect of the restart. You made the point that this year players are going to get 18% and not 25% escrow. Am I, am I reading that right? Yeah. So the, the two sides were trying to come to an agreement. The league proposed a 25% escrow and the players offered 15% originally. Um, I'll point it out in a typical year, escrow amount is 10%. Wow. Um, so they came, they came to a compromise and, and, and they settled on 18. Um, just to clarify for the listeners out there, escrow means that a certain portion of a lead, of a player's salary is deferred for a year time. And as long as the league hits certain revenue projected goals, then the player gets that escrow money that was set aside um, at that at a later date. Um, so obviously that's normally not really a concern. I mean, the league has been growing quite steadily for, you know, some time now, probably ever since the eighties, I would say. Oh, yeah. So it's never been even on their radar that they would not reach projected goals, but it's certainly a riskier proposition given, you know, the pandemic and will there be another spike and they have to suspend play altogether. It's just a lot of things aren't, as certain as they, as they would be otherwise. So it's, it's definitely a risk um, for the players that they could potentially lose out on that money. But uh, I think that's the agreement they came to and uh, they hope that they can move forward and continue to have a, a safe, successful season like we saw in the bubble. And just to further clarify what you're talking about, as far as like deferred uh, salary, like that does not affect the salary cap in any way, shape or form. Correct. Yeah. It's just uh yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't impact the salary cap doesn't impact the luxury tax. It's just, it's more of an insurance policy for the league that if the league doesn't meet revenue goals, they have this set of this money set aside that they can then use for operational things going forward. And it would come from the players. Yeah. Sorry guys. This does not mean that the Sixers have more salary cap flexibility. That's not what this means. <laughs> no, that'll be up to Daryl Morey. That'll be up to Daryl Morey. <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Getting into the free agent period. It's going to be an extremely short free agent period. What, what are you kind of expecting? Like a, more movement, less movement, kind of like business as usual? I think the probably the number one thing, it, well, it'll be interesting. I would think personally that more guys would be inclined to take like a one-year deal and just uh, kind of reevaluate where the, the league and the market is next year. I would agree with um, that. Maybe... I don't know, maybe a guy would want a longer guaranteed deal given uh, the kind of uncertainty of things going forward. Like that would appeal to someone to have that kind of certainty for like a four-year period. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I'd be more inclined to say that guys are taking one-year deals knowing this is a a down period for the league economically and kind of maybe trying to cash it in bigger next offseason. But uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think I think it'll just be a case by case basis where, you know, if a team strikes out on a big name free agent and they have a bunch of cap space and there's only one guy kind of that maybe doesn't warrant that deal, but he's the only guy in a certain tier 
of talent left and they'll just throw the money at them and the guy would be dumb not to take the money. Like that could happen. I think it's going to be, you know, like every off season that weird things are going to happen and it's just going to be a fluid situation. One name that I was kind of thinking about and like, I, it just struck me this morning, you know, somebody like DeMarcus cousins, who's had, you know, injury history the last couple of years. And he had that one year deal with the warriors. Then he had the one year deal with the Lakers. Like I could see somebody like that taking like a one year deal with like the Knicks or something and just be putting up big stats on a bad team just so he can cash out next year. Yeah. That, uh, it's interesting you say that that with the Knicks. Um, I feel like that's kind of what they were trying to do with like the Julius Randle contract is having. So maybe they would sign Cousins to like a one in one where they would be able to use him to boost his stats for one year and then flip him for something right down the line. Like I think that's kind of what their vision was last off season with some of the contracts they signed. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, that could that could certainly be a case that guys say, hey. Uh, the market's not really here right now because the league cap isn't going to grow like it would in a normal year. Um, so I will just go somewhere and boost my value by putting up empty calorie numbers for a bad team <laughs> and then uh, strike it rich next next year. I, I think that would be a reasonable approach for a lot of guys to take. As far as you know, contracts in general, could you see a lot of guys maybe taking five, $10 million less, not necessarily with the Sixers, but I mean, Hey, we got, we, we got Daryl. So whatever. Um, like a lot of that going on too. certainly not like the big high name free agents that are available, but you know, the mid tier guys. Again, I think it, it depends on the player and what his own personal situation is. If he's a guy that, you know, still fairly young and wants to, you know, hasn't really made a, a generational amount of wealth now yet, then I think they'll probably still try to get whatever they can get financially. But, you, you, do, you know, you do see instances of someone like uh, Danilo Gallinari, where he's been quite open the last month or so, like, hey, I want to go to a contender and I really want to have a chance to play for a title. And he's he seems very willing to take less money than what his market value would be. So th- there's always going to be that class of players that are have have made plenty of money over their, the course of their career and have other priorities in mind rather than just how much money they could make in the open market. So, yeah, there, I think there's definitely both guys, both uh, sorts of players that fall into those two types of camps. I'm just saying my ears kind of perked up when you said Gallinari because he also plays for the Thunder and we're trying to – trade for Chris Paul. So, you know, you throw, throw Danilo in a sign and trade. We'll, we'll make it, we'll make it work <laughs> Oklahoma city. It's okay. We'll, we'll handle it. Um, the other point that you made in your pieces last week, uh, the fans in the stands. And so what the NFL has done, like they've gradually, at first there were only a couple of cities that were allowed to have fans period. And I know that in Philadelphia, for example, they only allow, a max of, I want to say 7,500. Yes, that's right. The NBA says they want 25 to 50% capacity. Like, is that really a good idea? The bad idea? Like we're still in, we're still in the trenches with this coronavirus thing. And there's been a third spike already. Yeah. I I think 50% is probably 
overly optimistic, uh, given the fact that if you're really going to do social distancing, you can't have people to the side of you or in front or behind you. Um, so I don't, I don't see how you could even reach that, that number. Um, I know, I know they're, they were talking about press boxes. So they would have people that would, you know, get tested and you could have a, a large group of people in a press box altogether. And as long as they had been tested and were part of the same group of people that uh, they wouldn't affect anyone else in the arena, that could definitely help your attendance numbers if you're talking about just at a percentage basis of capacity. Um, but yeah, I, I think they're like other like the NFL has done it, they're going to leave it up to local and state guidelines. And the NFL, there are there's still teams that don't have any fans in attendance because local conditions don't allow for it. There's teams that, like the Eagles, where it's very limited at 7,500. And there's teams that, you know, have a, uh, a more expansive capacity because that's, that's what situation in their area allows for. So I think the NBA will do something similar and they'll just make sure that everyone is uh, – you know, do the screenings as people come in and just make sure they're wearing masks and doing social distancing guidelines. And um, hopefully that will all work for the best. I mean, I'm not saying it's a perfect situation. It's not going to be like the bubble where players are entirely isolated. But uh, I guess if the league is going to proceed in some fashion and be able to function, they do need to have these revenue sources start to come back into play. And uh they're, they're trying to explore how to do that. It is important to note that I, I do agree with what you said about going by state by state, city by city basis, because as we've seen states like Florida and other states, you know, south of the Mason Dixon line have been handling their coronavirus outbreaks way differently from some states in the north, like, you know, Pennsylvania, New York, Massachusetts, places like that, Chicago. Yeah, it's, you know, everyone's dealing with this differently um there's a lot of different <laughs> opinions <laughs> obviously out there in the world <laughs> and uh not only on what some of us would consider facts but also how best to approach things with those facts in play um and uh, in in that kind of second class of debate you know there there's reasonable arguments to be had on both sides um so yeah it's if you're in an area where there hasn't been a a large spike and you, you feel like it's fairly safe as long as you're measuring these, uh, you're doing the proper guidelines and the precautions are in place, then it, it makes sense to start allowing some of these fans back, I would say. But uh, there's, there's certainly some areas where that wouldn't be the case. And I think it's going to be up to the, the league to maintain uh, just a set of, you know, standard principles and guidelines where, Maybe they say if an area doesn't have, doesn't meet a certain level of cases or mm -hmm. whatever it could be. I don't, I don't know. But I, the, the bottom line is, uh, given what the league showed this year, I would trust them to make the correct decisions in those cases, in, in those instances. I did want to ask this question, and I literally just thought of it. Do you think the NBA should maybe trend towards the lower end? Like, you know, 25%, maybe even less than that, because with the NFL, a lot of the stadiums are outdoors. And as we've seen, as we've heard, as we've read, you know, being outdoors with groups of people like that, that's one thing. But if you're indoors, for example, like at a Wells Fargo Center, 
it's it's spread out enough but it's still indoors and like all the air is like you know circling around and all like that is that something that should be maybe considered yeah i'm sure that's going to be factored into it that that indoor environments are are different in how you have to handle this pandemic than being in an outdoor situation um yeah so if you're you're talking about 25 percent, that's probably around 5,000 people uh most arenas hold you know slightly over 20,000 fans uh i i don't know i haven't i haven't been a part of any discussions talking about <laughs> what what is a safe uh, capacity in a 20,000 seat arena um but yeah, I'm, I, I'm literally I, just asking for your opinion that's all yeah <laughs> uh yeah I, yeah I just feel like the the league is having those discussions I feel like they're being good stewards for their their players and their employees and and making sure that whatever is in place is going to be safe for everyone involved. And if that's the conclusion they reach, then I guess my opinion is I, I trust them with, with what they're doing. Um, I, when they're saying 50%, I, I, I do feel like that's overly ambitious. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe they just mean by like July, like that, that is something they could build to. I don't think it's going to be 50% on December 22nd. Um, I wouldn't I think, think, I wouldn't right. think silver would do that right from the jump. either. Yeah. I, I think that's more like, a, a down the road projection maybe like playoffs maybe increase the percentage yeah i mean we saw that with baseball they didn't have any fans for the regular season and then for the league championship series and the world series they started to allow fans so you can you can definitely ramp these things up um as time and situation changes you kind of touched on it a little bit before and we were talking about home court like does home court even really still kind of matter anymore? Cause I know in the NHL home ice means nothing. Yeah, that's true. Um, and yeah, that's why there's so many more upsets in the NHL playoffs than there are in other leagues because yeah, home ice just doesn't mean as much. There's also, you know, the goalie factor in the NHL where if you have a hot goalie, that's such an outsized advantage. Oh it's, yeah. It's, it's really just something you can't account for. Um, St. Louis Blues, for example, like come yeah, on. I mean, there's you know, <laughs> there's countless instances you could bring up where it's, it, it just takes a goalie getting hot for three weeks, and that can change everything. Um, as far as the NBA home court advantage, yeah, it's definitely. I would say it's definitely going to be diminished. There are going to be in, in the bubble. It was basically non-existent. Um, I think the nominal home team was right around 500 in the NBA playoffs, which was much, a much lower percentage than a typical playoffs. Right. Um, when they're, you know, actually were in home arenas with fans and everything. So, uh, I think there, there's gotta, there's gotta be some advantages. I mean, you're still able to sleep in your own bed True. and you're more familiar with the sight lines and the court itself. It's not like they're playing on a neutral court in Orlando. Like this is your home facility. That's you're definitely more used to it. So there's something to be said for that. Uh, as far as, you know, but also being a road team is going to be a little different if the league is doing more of this, uh, kind of reduced travel play in a, in a one regional games against teams within that region to kind of limit travel and exposure before you move on to, you know, another pod or whatever they want to call it. So your team, Hey, you're, you're going to play the Sixers, the Knicks and the Nets all within, like a five day period 
that's maybe not a lot. Wizards, maybe the Wizards yeah. and the Celtics in there too. Right. Like that's not a strenuous travel. It's not, there's not going to be a lot of like, Hey, we have to fly. We have a five hour flight and we have a game the next day at four, like four local time or whatever. Like that's not going to happen a lot this year. It's going to be much easier to be a road team than I think it would be in the past. Just be, uh, and because of that. And obviously the, the fan reduced crowd noise and everything else is going to come into play as well. Last question, last point, uh, and it's strictly opinion. This is strictly an opinion-based podcast so far, I guess. Uh, I mean, there's, there's sprinklings of facts in there. Um, me, personally, I would have kind of preferred them to return to, like, a bubble-type situation, but that's just me, and I'm thinking about, you know, player safety and everything else on top of that. Where where does your head go? Like, did you prefer being back in a bubble type situation, or are you at least sort of okay with moving towards the norm? And then once everybody's vaccinated, we're just full scale once again. It would obviously be better for player safety, but I don't think it's really feasible. It, it worked last year because the season had been eighty percent complete, so they could say, "Hey, we let's just have eight games." to finish off the regular season and then we can have a playoffs and guys were starting to get stir crazy. I mean, as the teams advanced in the playoffs, it was reaching a point where they were there for, you know, two, three months time. And that's not really feasible if you're a guy with a family. Yeah. And I know they could eventually bring their family members, but they're still away from their kids for a long time. That's not what you want. Um, and it, that would be only further exacerbated if you're talking about doing a whole season in that kind of environment. I can't see guys living away from their families for six, seven months, whatever it would be. I, I, do, I do agree that that would weigh really heavily on a lot of guys' mentals. Right. So, yeah, it's, I, I just don't see how that could work. Um, it's asking a lot of guys to kind of just detach themselves from their own lives for half a year. That's a really hard ask. Um, so I, th- I think they're trying to come up with a, a middle ground solution where it's not a normal season and it's not a bubble, but let's try to find something in the middle where it's, you know, promoting player safety as much as we can while still allowing guys some sense of normalcy. And just keep with the same testing and monitoring guidelines as you have. And then, as you were saying before, you know, limit travel. Like, okay, you have, you have your Atlantic division swing if you're a road team coming from California. And, you know, you do the Texas three-step if you go down there. And then you can throw Oklahoma City and New Orleans in that. Also Memphis. Like, there, there are definitely ways the NBA can do this. For sure. And there, there's going to be a lot of not back-to-backs where they're playing one night and then the next night, but there's going to be a lot of back-to-backs in the sense that like, Hey, we're going to play, we're going to play Washington on Monday and then we're going to play him again on Wednesday. And just to kind of limit in case there was a case, it wouldn't spread to multiple teams at once. They could kind of limit the contract tracing in that sense. Um, I think that's going to be a, an avenue that the, the league goes down. Um, so expect a lot of weeks where, it's I know in the past we we say like it feels like they've played Charlotte 10 times yeah or there's, there's going to be a lot of situations I feel like that I think <laughs> and I actually think that's a great idea and this idea was floated you know kind of doing it like MLB does it like oh okay so you're gonna play 
a three-game series against, like, the Knicks. And then if you're in the Atlantic Division, then you get a break from them. And then you play your next series of six. And then there's your, your six divisional games against one opponent. And just go all – just go it like that. Yeah, that's it's – a, it's a little different in – in the NBA, you don't like say there's a key injury. You don't want to. It's not fair if you would catch a team when a guy's out versus True. another team. But uh, I mean, that still happens in a normal season too. Uh, that would obviously just be a little further exacerbated. Uh, but yeah, it's there's there's a lot of things they can do, and I think they're gonna you know go down and try to explore as many of those things as possible. And I think that's that's one thing we might say. This is a very informative podcast and I enjoyed it so much. And like, I'm actually looking forward to all this and just the, the craziness that's going to ensue over the next I don't know, month, month and a half or so. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, you know, until the first time the Sixers lose in the fourth quarter against Boston or something, and we'll go oh, back. To hate, we'll go back to hating Philadelphia sports again. But for now, it's a lot of fun. For now, it's about. a lot of fun. <laughs> Enjoy it now. Enjoy it now, people. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, we still have the new, fresh. We have we have new general manager smell. So, yeah, we got like, that that fresh Daryl Morey car scent. That fresh <laughs> Daryl Morey car scent. It's full of you know rich leathers and mahoganies. Exactly. I love a rich mahogany. <laughs> uh, Sean, appreciate the time. Uh, stay safe, stay healthy out there. And uh, if you're going to celebrate, celebrate responsibly. I will do. Yeah. Thanks, Adia, for having me on. I enjoyed it. And I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Always a pleasure, Sean. Thank you. Bye.